but uh, we're going to continue today. Uh, I have to be honest with you, we're in chapter five today, and it's week three, and I was asking the Lord, like, how long is this sermon series going to go? Because it's quite a few more chapters in Nehemiah, and uh, I was asking and hoping that it wouldn't go all the way to Christmas, and uh, it won't, but uh, God wants us to pause today in chapter five and uh, take notice of what Nehemiah is doing. Uh, You knew the story, maybe you've heard the story before. Nehemiah was an ordinary man. In fact, he was a cupbearer of the king who got a vision from God, who got a burden from God. And he went ahead and did something about it. That's what we talked about in week one. And he became the governor of the province of Judah and Jerusalem. Pretty amazing, an ordinary person gets on fire, gets a hold of what God wants to do, he decides to go forward and ask the king. And God makes a way for him to be the governor from being ordinary to a cupbearer to a governor. Pretty much an extraordinary God that we serve. That's what he can do because it's not about our title. It's not about our position. It's about who God is. Because when you get a hold of what God wants to do, and you do something about it, he takes your ordinary and he turns it extraordinary. That's what he does. That's what he's in the business of, not for our sake, but for his sake. Amen. And then last week we talked about flipping the script. You know, when there's challenges and challengers in our life, how do we flip the script? And so we flip the script when we go ahead and say to the Lord, not only are we going to do something about it, but we're going to go ahead and say yes to what God has. That's what we do. So we flip the script. Some of us need to learn to do that. Every time the enemy comes at us from the outside, you need to get from a place of, you know, instead of being a place of defense, you need to get to a place of offense. You need to start shooting some threes instead of the free throws or playing D all the time. You got to go for it. That's what Nehemiah did. And then today in uh, chapter 5, we see Nehemiah pursuing unity. That's where we pick up right here. There's been a lot that's happening on the outside in uh, in Nehemiah's time with the people of Israel. And he's managed to confront the challenges and the challenges on the outside. And here in chapter 5, he goes ahead and sees a new challenge. Uh, if, you're, if you've been reading along with, with us in, in the book of Nehemiah, you notice that Nehemiah seems to go from problem to problem to problem to problem. In fact, as I've been diving into this scripture and this book, it's been amazing to me that I'm a little tired for Nehemiah, to be honest, as a leader, thinking about how many, how many challenges can one man face? But he relies on the Lord and leads by example on what to do next. About this time, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and our vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children 
are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard the complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it was over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. And I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further, what are you doing and what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business, this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to, the, to them this very day and repay the interest you charge when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. In the next few verses, Nehemiah goes and explains his personal example of what he's doing to help the Jews in this time of famine. So what is this book, this chapter about? What is this story about? Is it, is it about people in injustice? Is it about the fact that there was wealthier Jews actually giving out bad loans to the Jews that were poor? Was it about injustice, about not people not having enough to eat and selling their kids? In all reality, Nehemiah knew that this was not just about the current problem of the famine or the economic situation they were in. They knew, and he knew, that this was about disunity. The wall had stopped being, being built. That's exactly what was happening at this point. In fact, it was stopped not because of the enemies on the outside. Remember, we talked about Sam Ballot and his friends. It wasn't stopped because people were tired. We talked about the enemies sometimes in between your ears. It was about the people that was fighting amongst them. And this is a hard chapter for Nehemiah to jump into, to be honest, because as a leader, There's a lot of things you can change and control and do on the outside. But on the inside, it takes a lot of energy and time. Some of you guys know this in your personal lives, if you look back in your life. If you have a person at your workplace that you don't get along with, it's easy to just ignore them or leave them alone or don't go near their desk. But if you have a family member, and they're going to be here at Thanksgiving here in a few weeks, and Christmas is coming, that's a whole nother subject, isn't it? 
Nehemiah knew that the wall could not be completed without unity within the Jews. He begins to make strides towards that. See, Nehemiah wasn't the brightest person out there. He wasn't the biggest person out there. He was a person that led by example. And that's our challenge for you today. That's my challenge for you today. Are you leading by example? And if you are, what kind of example are you leaving with people? Unity is something that Jesus thought was probably one of the most important things he leaves with his people. In fact, his last prayer before he goes to heaven in John chapter 17, verse 21 and 23, he prays the prayer of unity for us, his followers. He says, I pray that they will all be one, Jesus praying to his father, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You know, as followers of Jesus, we have to be committed to becoming peacemakers. This is one of the distinctives of being a Christian, that we are not the first people to blow up. We are not the first people to say things out of context. We are not the first people to say lies or or gossip. We are to be peacemakers. That's who God has called us to be. I, I was researching this week, and I heard this uh, from a pastor, and it was a story that he heard from somewhere else. If you ever wonder where pastors get their stories, it's always from another person, from another person, and from another person, okay? And so he said, the enemy was tired. Satan was tri- tired of attacking the church, because of the prayer of the church against, against, this, against Satan, against the devil. And so he decided to join it instead. If you think about it, you'll catch it. What this pastor was saying was, sometimes we as the church, we're good at praying against the enemy, the devil on the outside, and we will keep him away with our prayers from the outside but we allow him in our midst within the ranks of the church. And we allow him to exist in our church because of our conduct, because the way that we act towards conflict. See, Nehemiah knew this in this chapter. This wasn't about uh, anything else but doing the right thing. That's what this chapter is about. He knew that he had to address certain people, and he did that. He knew that he had to go ahead and make it fair and balanced, and he did that. But did you notice with me how quickly he resolved the conflict? 
As a, as a pastor, I got to be honest with you, I wish I had some of that anointing. <laughs> I mean, those 12 verses, that's all it took for Nehemiah to resolve the conflict of disunity. How many of y'all been in church for a long time, right? Have you ever heard of conflict being resolved within a church this quick? So there's a big issue in our church. We have a meeting this afternoon. One o'clock, we all join in. And 1.20, it's all done, solved, and everyone's happy. That's kind of what happened here. But people respected Nehemiah, not because he was the governor. People respected Nehemiah because he led by example. See, he was a peacemaker. See, in verse 6, then I was very angry, Nehemiah says. He's so vulnerable. He's so transparent. When I heard their outcry and these words, verse 7 says, I consulted with myself. Anybody talk to yourself before a meeting? Whenever I have important meetings to go to, I talk to myself before going there. All right, here's what I need to do. Here's what I need to do. And then the Lord always tell me, would you just be quiet for the first 20 minutes of this meeting? Because if you do, I can do a lot. That's a good little practical example of what you should do. More listening than talking. But he says, as I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury, interest, each from his brother. Here's the first thing he did. He went to the source. If you have conflict in your life and you're trying to be a peacemaker, go to the source. He didn't just listen from someone else's version of what was happening. Every coin has two sides. He went to the source and he said, okay, I'm going to go ahead. I'm kind of upset right now, but I'm going to go to the nobles and the rulers and ask them, what's up? That's exactly what's going on. Again, I said in verse 9, the thing which you're doing is not good. Notice that he didn't yell at them for going ahead and getting uh, money from people for no reason. Notice that he didn't go ahead and get gangster on them and start shooting and start taking them out because he could have. Notice that he didn't walk in there and start yelling and screaming and saying, I'm the governor. Listen to what I'm saying. That's not what he did. He said, the thing which you are doing is not good. See, this is about being a follower of Jesus. This is not about being better. This is about pursuing God in all that he is. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? He didn't tell them what they were doing. He asked them, called them out and said, shouldn't you be a follower of Jesus? Shouldn't you be in the fear of the Lord? Shouldn't you be someone who is set apart, a royal priesthood? Because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies. See, Nehemiah knew that he had to call them back to repentance. This is a second characteristic of being a peacemaker, a call back to repentance. Notice that first he went to the source, and then secondly, 
There was a heart of repentance. Now, I want to give you guys some practical advice. We're getting to the holiday season. How many of you guys know that it's a little tricky in the holiday season? Which home are you going to choose? Where are the grandkids going to go? How are we going to afford all the gifts? Are we, you know, layaways already started at Walmart, you know? All kinds of stuff's happening. Thanksgiving turkey, who's bringing the cranberry sauce? And, well, don't call that person. The, you know, green bean casserole is not good. Choose that one, you know? All of these things start to show up in our lives. Here's what we have to learn to do. First, we have to have a repentant heart. You know, you only know what you know because of the grace of God in your life. We're not special. We're special because of who? So if you're going to go to Thanksgiving and someone's not close to the Lord, would you give them grace that you've been so freely given? I'll be like, oh, well, you know, that person. I really, I, I just can't stand that person. Really? You're the Christian. Where is the heart of repentance to be a peacemaker? Matthew chapter 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers because what? They are the children of God. Are you a child of God today? Or are you abrasive? Are you showing up to meetings at work and you're like, everybody knows, oh my goodness, this person's coming. Or when you walk through a door, are people excited? It's like, oh wow, there's a peacemaker. There's a child of God. There's a person that I want to be around. The second thing is go to the source. You know when there's conflict in our life, we ought to take Nehemiah's example. Can you stop believing one-sided stories? Go to the source. Go to the person. Talk to them. Ask around. Don't just believe things. Now, some of you guys are wondering if I'm talking about New Song Church. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. I am not talking about New Song Church. I haven't been here long enough to talk about you guys, okay? <laughs> I don't know all your dirty secrets or your laundry. You guys have been so good to us, and we are so thankful. But I want you to know in your personal life, go to the source. You know, when you have conflict, don't be afraid of conflict. You know there's such a thing as healthy conflict? Some of you guys, all you know is when things get blown up. You're walking in there with machine guns, with knives, with little bombs. You're ready to go. You know, that's the only time you know how to have a tough conversation. Some of you guys need to have a healthy conflict conversation. That means sitting down, listening, talking to the people, finding out what's going on. Nehemiah was very angry. How many of y'all been angry before? I have been. But he still went and talked to them. Notice that. He still took the time. He didn't have to. He could have had them all killed and taken their stuff and given it to the poor people. He didn't do that. He wanted to make sure that this was a God thing, that this was done well, that this was a good thing. Verse 12, then they said, notice, they recognize his integrity. They recognize his character. And they said, look, we will give it back. Wasn't that so easy? You know that you can solve 
issues in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, if you just go ahead and have a repentant heart, go to the source and stop being so confrontational. Just be a peacemaker. We'll give it back and we'll require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. And so Nehemiah is still taken into the next level. He's a strategist. He says, so I called the priest and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Don't get shook. Don't get shook. Here's the thing we've got to realize just because we don't pursue peace does not make us someone who is peaceful. Just because you don't take action towards being a peacemaker, there is no such thing as being neutral. Because if you're sitting back and relaxing and letting things happen and you're not pursuing peace, you may not be loud, but you're loud in your heart. Let's pursue peace. This is what Nehemiah was doing. He basically brought the priests in. Okay, these guys, thank you so much. Appreciate the 20-minute meeting. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing with me. You're going to give it all back. All right, bring the priest. Let's take an oath. And then he says a prayer, God, if they don't do what they said they're going to do, shake them out. And not only just shake them out, shake out everything that's in their pockets. Empty their pockets out. Take everything that's in them and give it away. That's what he was saying. We have a choice as people of God in the city of Cleveland We have a choice as people of God in this church to be peacemakers or God will shake us out. That is the truth. When you make a commitment, go all in. Don't just take a seat back. So in verse 14, Nehemiah tells us how he resolves this conflict from within. This conflict of disunity This enemy from within, he resolved it with the most catalytic item on a person's character as a follower of Jesus there is. And we heard this in John chapter 17. And that is your personal example. The most powerful catalyst of unity in any situation of conflict is your personal example It will always be who you are, not what you do. It will always be what comes out when there's pressure on you, not what you say when there's no pressure. It will always be on the inside of you waiting to come out when there's conflict. There was this message one time I did, and I had this toothpaste tube in my hand. And I didn't have time to go buy it this morning. And uh, there's something about a toothpaste tube, isn't there? I don't know if you're the kind of person that likes the toothpaste tube to be squeezed all the way to the side. Yeah. Are you one of those people anymore? Yeah. It's got to be neat and nice. 
That's the, I'm the only one in my whole house that the toothpaste tube has got to be squeezed exactly according to instructions, right? They even make little tools that you can insert on the back and push it. I got to get one of those because it's getting out of hand in my house, right? <laughs> what it is, some people just like to squeeze it, right? It doesn't matter. They don't even put the lid on it. I know who you are. I can tell how people live their life by just looking at their toothpaste tube. It's all nasty looking. You're just like blobs over. Come on, people. Come on. But the truth is, what's in the tube comes out. When what? There's pressure applied on the outside. That's what conflict is. Sometimes the Lord allows conflict in your life to remind you that what's on the inside needs to be changed. Especially when it comes to unity. Not just in a church, but in our homes, in our lives. We are to be peacemakers, but peacemakers can only happen if we're in union with God. Verse 15, Nehemiah says his example. He says this, But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Notice that there were governors before him. They laid burdens on him, on on the people. They actually took their share and then they allowed their servants to go get some more. But Nehemiah said, I did not do so, not because I cared about what people were saying. No, he didn't. He said, I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. You know, some of us need a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. You know, me and my brother were, were terrible kids. I mean, in church, guys, I'm telling you, none of the kids here had anything on the menace that me and my brother, we were burning stuff in cars during the service. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's why I'm always telling our kids' ministry workers, believe me, they can turn out okay. Take a chance on them. You never know. They may be a pastor in the future, right? But we were terrible. But I remember my dad, I mean, how many times, because I was raised Anglican, you guys know this, how many times that my dad would take us to the basement, the restroom, and discipline us. You know, in the Anglican church, there are parts of the service where you stand up, and then this part's where you sit down, and me and my brother, we sit in the front. I mean, we were ready for this. And we'd stand up when they were sitting down. And we'd sit down when they were standing up. And it was just like, we, we knew the tiles in the bathroom, you know? We just knew it. We could see it. It was painful moments. But we had to be disciplined a little bit. <laughs> Some of us were not okay with discipline. Some of us were fighting discipline. Some of us would tell the Lord, no, we're not going to do this. We don't want to be disciplined, Lord. I don't want to do it your way. Yet you want the blessings of God. So you can't bypass the cross to the blessings of the cross. This is why the Bible teaches us that every day you need to pick up your and follow Because the blessings of the cross are only available to those who pick up their cross every day. Nehemiah, 
the first thing he says is to, uh, to the people. He says, I did not do so because of the fear of God. He knew in order for us to preserve unity, humility before God is where it starts. You know, there's been a lot of stories about churches not being in unity. Thank God for New Song Church. Thank God for the people here today. Thank God for the people that call this their church home. Thank God for that even though there has been tough times that you stuck it through. But do it for God. Don't do it for anybody else. Amen. Biblical unity starts with a heart seeking to be right before Jesus. So many of you I've talked to about why you stayed why you pursued say, and most of you guys have given me the answer. You know what it is? God did not release me. And it's like a big smile on your pastor's face. Why? Because nobody can take away anything from you as long as you live unto God. Amen? Amen? Nehemiah knew that if he was humble before God, everything else would come into alignment. He gave away his perks. He didn't take advantage of another person's hardship, not because of the tough time that they were in, but because he had a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is inside. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Some of you guys think you're wise, but if you don't have the fear of the Lord as the beginning of your wisdom, it ain't wisdom at all. Because the fear of the Lord is always the beginning of wisdom. It is not the last piece. It's not the third piece. It's not the second piece. It is always number one. This is where wisdom begins. And the knowledge of the Holy One is what? Insight or discernment. I love that verse in my own personal life. I've asked the Lord every day, God, give me a healthy dose of what you're saying to me today. Because I know there's some stuff out there waiting for me, but I need a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. So God, I'm focused on you. God, I want all that you have. I want all that you are and everything else will be made straight. See, without the fear of the Lord... You're kind of led astray. Some of you might be leaning on the knowledge of your experience, but you're only going to get insight. You're not going to get wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom, and he got wisdom beyond his years. Why? Because wisdom matters. See, we got to preserve unity through humility. Nehemiah knew that. He was saying that constantly, because I fear God, I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to go ahead and preserve unity. Verse 16, I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for work. What's he saying? Nehemiah made himself available to the process of unity. You know, some of us in our own personal lives, at work, when it comes to this tension of unity, this concept of peacemaking, we're missing. We like the message, 
but talking to the person and kind of telling them something, and it's this weird place, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and just forget about it. How many business owners do we have here today? Any business owners? We got a few, okay. It would be like this, you avoiding every conversation, every tough conversation with an employee that's underperforming. hard place to be, isn't it? Peacemaking. Because if it's about just going, being on TV, holding a flag and saying, hey, we're all about peace, then we're doing it. But if it's something that we have to do that affects the feeling that we have, then it's hard for us to do. Nehemiah was available in the process of unity. Notice he applied himself to the work on the wall. He was a governor. Why was he working on the wall? He's one of the most important people in that area. Why is he working on the wall? He didn't buy any land. He said no to the perks. Why? Because he was giving away his money. And all my servants gathered there for work. Instead of his sermons, his servants helping him build his palace, making him feel better about life, handing him the grapes on a platter. He said, you, you guys too, don't serve me. Go serve us. Unity is hard work. In our personal lives, the awkward conversations, the family struggles, unity is hard work. You think you're just going to wake up one day and everybody's going to forgive each other in the family from the bad conversation that you had a year ago at Christmas? Everything's going to be okay, that magically one day that Jesus is just going to make everything okay? No, it takes work. You have to be available in the process. Be available to have a hard conversation. Unity matters, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I urge you then, I whom am a prisoner because I serve the Lord, live a life that measures up to the standard God set when he called. Be always what? Humble, gentle, and patient. Show your love by being tolerant with one another. Do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the peace that binds you together. Without peace, there is no unity. Without the Spirit, there's no unity. I love Paul talking to the church in Ephesus, telling them, look, there's a standard that God wants us to hold. And that standard holds this thing called unity at high regard. See, the enemy knows that in your life, in your family, maybe it's your immediate family, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's another relationship, that without unity, you're not going to accomplish anything for God. Enemy knows in our church, at New Song Church, without unity, we're not going to accomplish anything worthwhile for God. That's how it works, because there's peace in unity. The third thing Nehemiah teaches us today is to prepare to pay the price of unity. Verse 18 says this, Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also birds were prepared for me in once in ten days. All sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. 
Are we living a life that says, I want to serve, or are you living a life that says, you want to be served? Because this is the reality, guys. As followers of Jesus, if you're living in a place where you're always wanting stuff, and you're not willing to serve your way, you may be in the wrong kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is upside down. Leaders don't get privileges. Leaders don't get perks. Leaders serve. You want to be a leader in the kingdom of God, you learn how to serve. You want to be someone important to God, you be the last person. This is what God has for those that follow him. But yet many of us are not willing to pay, pay the price of unity. See, we all want unity, amen? amen? We all want this concept of unity, and we're waiting for this to happen in a fractured world. You turn on the news every day, and you hear it. You, you turn around, you have a conversation, you hear it. Whether you're African-American, Caucasian, Indian, Chinese, Asian, I don't know, African, We're all scared today. We live in this climate where we have accepted a reality that unity is not possible. But I'm telling you, it is possible if we pay the price of unity. Because the cost of unity isn't always about giving. So if you're having a political conversation, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat in the kingdom of God. It isn't about giving up something. Well, I got to give up something to get something, but sometimes it calls us to release. I want you to know this, and I don't want you to, this to go by you. Sometimes you have to release something in order for unity to happen. Sometimes it starts with you. Why don't you engage a person of the opposite political party and say, hey, I'm actually, I believe in this, but I want to hear from you why you believe this. Hey, I, I don't come from that background. I come from this background. Would you help me realize what your side looks like? Are you willing to pay the price or are you just doing lip service? Millennials, I want you to look at me. I love social media. I love social media. Are you making a real difference or are you just showing it to the world? Are you actually wanting unity or are you just pretending that you on your little island, you think, are you paying the price? Some of us need to start with our neighbors. I mean, trust me, I've got those neighbors too. Got to go say hello. Take them some cookies. Shake their hands. Cut their yard. Do some cleanup. I'm tempted too to blow all my leaves from my property onto theirs. (laughs) This is what being a peacemaker looks like. There's a price for unity in our culture, in our homes. Are you willing to pay that price? Verse 19, Nehemiah says, Remember me, O my God, for good 
according to all that I have done for this people. Notice the posture of Nehemiah's heart. He didn't want recognition from the people. He didn't want riches from the nobles. He didn't want anything, but he said, God, remember me for all that I've done for this people. Shouldn't that be the prayer of our lives? Who cares if you never get noticed? Who cares if no one writes a blog about you and says you're the next greatest person, you're 100 greatest people of wherever? We should live to impress God. That's who we should be. So I want to ask you a question today. Are you impressing God or are you wanting to impress man? If you're impressing God, then none of this stuff gets in the way because you're on God's agenda. Because yes, things happen. Conflicts happen. Scenarios happen. And real life happens. But you're on God's terms, not the world's terms. You know, years ago, I, um, I was running away from the call of God in my life. And my parents, who are Indian, as you can tell, um, wanted me to go into engineering school. Surprise, surprise. My dad wanted, my Indian father wanted me to be an engineer, right? And uh, I didn't want to do that. And I really didn't want to be a priest. Because up until then, I just thought being a pastor meant to be a priest. And I was thinking, how am I going to be a priest? (laughs) And so I was running away from the call of God on one side. And I was running away from what my parents wanted me to do, which is be an engineer. And I decided to go into international economics. And I thought I'd be rich and give money towards missions. And, you know, at 35, I'd get married when I'm older, be the cool dad with gray hair, you know, with teenagers running around. I had this all this vision in my head. So I said no to God. And I said no to my parents. And I applied to this program at the University of Guelph. And running away from God and running away from my parents. I got into this program where I think over a thousand people applied at that time and 65 get in. And so I was thinking, this is pretty good. I feel like somebody. So I'm standing in campus. I show my dad this really historic campus and I'm standing in the middle of the campus. And I say, well, dad, what do you think? And my father looks at me and says, I'm really disappointed in you. I remember thinking to myself, well, this God thing, this peacemaker thing, it's not for me. I'm actually doing a good thing. I'm running away from God, but I'm actually doing a good thing. My, my earthly dad, this conflict, I can't be a peacemaker to that. I'm still successful. Why would any father say that? I remember in that moment, I felt in my spirit standing in the center of that university campus. I felt like I broke. I was still standing up, but I felt like I broke. And as I was falling and breaking into pieces, I felt like there was somebody else 
my heavenly father holding me. And I remember when he held me, what it felt like was that I didn't have to conjure up all of this peace and this unity. I just had to lay in his arms and he was going to give me the peace and the unity that I needed for my life. And it's almost like he just said, you got it. And he picked me back up. I came back into this moment with my father and something that I did not have to give him, God gave me to give him. And he used me as a conduit in my brokenness and in the conflict I had, if I just allowed and leaned on on who God is, the Holy Spirit used it to now minister to my father. My father just had a dream for his son to be an engineer. It may have been his dream. There's nothing wrong with that dream. That led me later on in a few months, that moment, to have an interaction with God. You guys have heard that story before. Later on, I moved to Atlanta. Didn't talk to my father for four years. And it's moments like that that this comes alive in your pastor's life. What do you do? And I want to tell you that there are things that I did that the Holy Spirit told me to do in pursuit of unity and peacemaking that were personal steps that you can have as well. Nehemiah knew that it wasn't about living a life that was clean and good. It was a living a life that was close to who God is. He knew that he was the catalyst, that his personal example was the catalyst. Some of you guys have seen my dad here a couple months ago. Loves it. Loves the fact that I'm in the ministry. God changed it. God's restored things. God's used me, our family life to minister to him. God's done incredible things. I got a card in the mail for my birthday. It said, Pastor, Lead Pastor Clint Curavilla. And that was over 15 years ago. See, sometimes it's hard, isn't it? It takes time, doesn't it? But if you're willing to pay the price, if you're available in the process, if you're willing to persevere through humility before God, God can do it for you too. I'm no special than you are. All you got to do is to allow your personal self to be in line with God. New Song Church, I want to talk to you for a second as a church. There's a lot of things that have happened in the last 25 years. There has been. In fact, if we were to take time, I don't think we would have enough time to talk about all of the issues. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to come into this process and we trust Him in this process, He will lead us to healing. If you don't, you will carry this with you for the rest of your life. And when you get to heaven one day, because you will, you'll see a little reel in front of your eyes. And God's going to ask you, what did you do with this opportunity? What did you do with that conversation? What did you do with this person? 
Let's pay the price for unity. Amen. Let's be peacemakers. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for using a man in this process of unity and to make peace, not just to solve issues, but to see your will and your vision fulfilled. God, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters here today. Those who are heavy with burden, those who have been hurt, those who have paid the price the other way, God, I pray that you would give them strength and peace and faith and grace and mercy to do what you have called them to do. God, this is not just about our church. This is about our lives and being in sync with what you're doing. Lord, as we rebuild our lives, just like Nehemiah was rebuilding these walls, Lord, would you help us to pay the price of unity to be available in the process of unity, God, and to persevere through humility before you. Thank you, God, for being a good God. Can we just take a couple moments, just in the stillness of this moment, can you just begin to allow the Holy Spirit to just minister to where you're at? Some of us, we need to let go of people and situations that have hurt us. Some of us, maybe the Lord's asking you to say, hey, are you willing to have a tough conversation, a healthy conversation this week with people that may have hurt you? Some of us need to be on the other side and receive that forgiveness. Receive that insight. Receive that peace. 